Well, if you would turn with me this evening in the scripture to uh, Psalm 34. We've been ministering on Friday nights for some time on the subject of the life of praise. And our text here is in Psalm 34. Let's read the first three verses out loud together. Psalm 34, 1, 2, and 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Don't you like that? This describes a lifestyle of praise, a way of life. He said, uh, I'll bless the Lord when? At all times. His praise shall occasionally? No, no. Now a lot of folk must have thought it said that. But his praise shall when it, how often is continually? You doing what continually? What? Let's be specific now. His praise is in my mouth. Not just in my mind or in my heart, but in my mouth continually. That's all the time. Right? All the time praising God. All the time blessing God. That's a way of life. You don't just do it in church service. You don't just do it once in a while. You get up in the morning praising God. Right? Now, a lot of Christians don't. A lot of Christians, the alarm goes off and they go, oh, man. Uh, brother, get up and kick a toy in the hall. Oh, grumble, grumble, grumble. Stumble into the bathroom and look at the window and go, oh, man. Grumble, grumble. Look out the window, it's raining. Oh, grumble, grumble. And drive and grumble about traffic and grumble about where you had to park and grumble about what's going on at work. And that is not his praise continually being in your mouth. That's a gripe. Being continually in your mouth. And that's the way many, many people live. And they think it's okay. But the Bible said in 1 Corinthians 10. Don't murmur like they murmured. Talking about the Israelites. Because they were destroyed of the destroyer. Complaining opens the door to the destroyer. Well who's the destroyer? The devil. Revelation said his name is Apollyon. Abaddon. It means destroyer. He's the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, you don't want the door open to the destroyer in your life. So we best stop all the complaining. I want to say it again now. Complaining, murmuring, griping, bellyaching opens the door to the destroyer in your life. That's what the scripture says. And that's not what we're told to do. What are we told to have in our mouth all the time? So you get one eye about half open and what do you say? (laughs) 
Praise you, Lord. You're already off to a better day right now. Right now, you just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for another day. Right? You get up. You kick the toy. Even if it hurts, you go, oh, thank you, Lord, I didn't break my toe. Thank you, Lord. Right? That's the way to do it. Thank you, Lord. Well, it's raining. Well, thank you, Lord. It's not ice on the street. Right? How many of you can always look at the other way and there's something to be thankful for? Right? Just like you can always find something to gripe about, you can always find something to be thankful for if you look in the right place. And if you're looking towards God, you're going to always see plenty to be thankful for. And the thing is, the Bible, we've already talked about this. Romans says, unthankfulness darkens the understanding. Well, what then by contrast, what would thankfulness do? It makes you brighter. Now, how many of us could use some of that? And this is not just talk. This is reality. It didn't say it it is like that. No, it says it darkens the understanding. What does that mean? The more you gripe, the less you see. The more you gripe, the less you see things that you should be appreciating. The more you gripe, the less aware you are of what's going on around you. You just become dull and darken. The Bible says, Romans 1. But what if you're thanking God all the time? Things get clearer to you. You thank God for this and you realize, well, look at that. Thank you for that, Lord. Glory to God. Then you see three other things. You go, oh, yeah. Thank you for them, too. And you become aware and alert if you're all the time thanking God. God doesn't tell us to praise him all the time because he's got an ego problem. And just like, you know, come on, praise me, praise me, praise me. No, God has not one bit of insecurity in himself. He doesn't need anybody to prop him up for him to feel good about himself. Did you hear me now? This is for us. I said, this is, we need this. We are completely dependent on him for our every heartbeat, our every breath, for every synapse firing in our brain. We're dependent on him for everything. He knows what works and what doesn't. He knows what ministers life to you, what ministers death to you. And he said, I sit before you. Life, death. And he gave us a hint. Pick the life. Yeah, pick that one. Right? (laughs) He told us what to do. It's sad that millions are not doing it. But here is a big part of choosing life. What is it? His praise. I'll bless the Lord at all the time, all the time, all the time. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I get up praising God. I go to work praising God. I praise God at break time. I praise God over lunch. I praise God in the restaurant. I praise God in the warehouse. I praise God coming back home. I praise God cleaning house. I praise God setting the table. I praise God when I lay my head on the pillow at night. I praise God. I thank God. It's a way of life. I breathe. I blink my eyes and praise God. It should be that normal to you. 
It is not that normal to many Christians. But friend, if you want to live the life of victory, it must become that way. So how many praisers do I have in the house? How many thanksgivers? How many worshipers of God? Good, good, good. Now how many of us, it don't do any good to raise your hand if you're not going to do it at home, right? All the time, all the time. No griping, just praising. No complaining, just thanksgiving, right? No fault finding, just worshiping God. And you're a happier person. You're so much happier. So much happier. Turn with me to John 4, if you would. We talked about a number of things already in this series. We've talked about when you should praise God and then where you should praise God. We talked about uh, what praise is. We talked about what thanksgiving is. Last week we talked about what worship is. And we acted on it some. But I want to go further on some of those things tonight. Let's talk about how to worship. How. And in uh, John 4, we see some very specific instructions. John 4, we read this last week. Let's read it again. Jesus is at the well with the woman, you know, that came there. And he's talking to her. Through word of knowledge, he told her things about her life. And uh, she says, verse 20, John 4:20, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now notice her emphasis. Her emphasis is on the place. That's natural. Natural people emphasize the natural. Spiritual people emphasize the spiritual. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So just in answering our question already, how do you worship God? He tells us specifically here two main things, doesn't He? You worship God in spirit and in truth. Now listen to uh, the living translation of this 21st verse. Jesus said, the time is coming, ma'am, when we will no longer be concerned about whether to worship the Father here or in Jerusalem. For it's not where we worship that counts, but how we worship. Did you hear that? It's not where, it's how. Is our worship spiritual and real? Now see, he says that instead of spirit and truth. Well, if it's in spirit, it'd be spiritual. If it's in truth, it would be real and not false. He said, is our worship spiritual and is our worship real? He, in the King James, he said, for the true worshipers, he adds that descriptor, 
true. Are there other kinds? There must be, or he wouldn't specify. True. Anytime you use the word true, what are you pointing out? If I hold up some bills and I say, now this is a genuine $100 bill. Why would I have to say that? Because there's something else around that's not real. That's why you wouldn't even bring it up. So there is worship that is not true. There are forms of praise and thanks and worship that is not spiritual and it is not real. And in the Father's eyes, it is not true. So it's just operations of men being religious. I'm not interested in that at all. Are you? I want to know what God calls real. And that's all I'm interested in doing. It's what he counts real and knows to be real. The living says it's not where we worship that counts. How many understand you can worship God just as well in your bedroom as you can in this building? That was a little weak. Did you know that? You can worship God just as much in your automobile as you can in the finest church sanctuary in the world. Right? Why? Is God there in your car? Certainly. Is he there in your house? Certainly. So then it's not where you worship that's the deal. And see, so many of these religions, that's their big deal. They make all these long treks and pilgrimages and sometimes crawl on rough stuff for long distances to prove. Because they got to get to the place. And they hang out around tombs and they do all this. No, uh, you can go. I mean, you know, they say that in Israel, you know, this is the tomb. But who knows? But even if you could find the right one, he's not there. I said, he's not there. And some people get all built up. Well, I want to go over there and pray in the tomb. We don't even know if it's the right one. Well, I want to do this and I got to get to the place. And and people get hung up. Why? Because they're natural. They're not spiritual. Did you hear me? They're carnal. Carnal people, natural people, they focus on the natural. You know, well, I want to get to that water. I want to be baptized in the same place. I want to be on the hill. I want to do this. I want to sit in that same seat where they got blessed. See, that's focusing on natural things. But where is God? He's everywhere. Right? He's everywhere. Can you worship him anywhere? So it's not where, but what? It's not where he said, but how we worship God. Is our worship, he said, spiritual and real? Do we have the Holy Spirit's help? For God is spirit and we must have his help to worship him as we should. I like that. It is such a truth. Do you know you can't do anything the best way it could and should be done without the Spirit's help? Anything from combing your hair to making a pie to driving to work, especially to uh, praising God and worshiping God. How many of you to excel in a prayer life? You must learn not just get your list about what you want to pray about and then get down and start talking to God about your list and trying to, you know. No, no. If you're going to be a successful prayer, you got to learn to work with the Spirit. 
And there will be numerous times you think you're going to pray about this. And you get to praying and he takes you another direction. Anybody that's prayed much, they know that to be true. Same thing is true with preaching and teaching. You might study, you might prepare, you might have your notes. But if it's going to be like it should, you got to follow him. You, how many understand no man or woman can preach and teach like they should without the Spirit's help? <laughs> Certainly not. Well, then you as individuals, you can't praise God. You can't worship God. You can't praise like you should and like you're supposed to without the Spirit's help. And so doing it, uh, worshiping God in spirit is going to be synonymous with uh, doing it with the Spirit's help, by the Spirit's direction. People try to make these things over spectacular, and they think, well, if I'm really worshiping God in the Spirit, then I'll be like in a trance, and I won't even know what's going on. Well, you could have an experience, but no, most of the time, that's not going to be the case. But the Holy Spirit will lead you how to do things, which direction to go, what to say when and how. And when you're doing it that way, honestly, with all of your heart, that's real worship. That's true praise and true thanksgiving. And the Father seeks that. Glory be to God. Let's talk further about this. How do we worship? In Philippians 3, why don't you, in fact, hold your place in John. Hold your place in John and go to Philippians 3. In Philippians, the third chapter and the third verse, Philippians 3, 3, we are the circumcision which worship God, how? In the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Now, this is important. You're going to see this later on. How many understand there couldn't be any true worship apart from rejoicing in Jesus? That's going to be involved in every part of true worship and praise and thanksgiving. If Jesus is not in it, it's not the real thing. He's in there somewhere. All through it in the beginning. And, you know, if you're talking about the Father, if you're talking about the Spirit, still. You come back to Jesus all through. He said, uh, we worship God in the Spirit. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. And notice this, and have no confidence in The flesh. Now, what's the opposite of worshiping God in spirit? That'd be worshiping in the flesh. Can you pray in the flesh? Yeah. Can you preach in the flesh? Or teach in the flesh? Can you praise or worship in the flesh? Can you give in the flesh? Yeah, you can. Is that good? Is it acceptable to God? Is it please him? Is it beneficial? It's not. He said, we worship God in the spirit and we have no confidence in the flesh. Well, go back to John. You were there in chapter four and look in the sixth chapter of John. Chapter six and verse 63. 663, Jesus is speaking here. John 663. He said, It is the Spirit that quickens. The flesh does what? Profits nothing. 
How much benefit is there in fleshly activity? Now, is that an exaggeration? I said, well, you know, I mean, there's some benefit. <laughs> Not according to Jesus. Let me uh, specify a little bit more. What you do in the spirit is expressed through your flesh. But it doesn't come from the flesh. We live in the flesh. I mean, your flesh is here right now. You lose your flesh and you're not in this world anymore. So doing things in the earth, in the spirit, it's going to be expressed through your body, through your lips and your hands, through your brain. It's going to come through the vessel of the flesh, but it's not of the flesh as a source. Came from another source. So he said, uh, the spirit quickens. Now, this is, uh, I'm trying to get ahead of myself here. But before we're through with this, we're going to talk about, we've already begun, talking about how you can tell the difference between what is flesh and what is spirit. Are you interested in this at all? I have been for years, and I thank God for some clarity on it, you know, because you hear these terms, and so many times people will nod, and they'll agree that, yeah, we should do stuff in the spirit, but it's vague, and, and people don't understand what it means. It's just religious terms. But it doesn't have to be hard to understand at all. You are a spirit. You are already aware of spiritual things. That's what you are. God is a spirit. Have you ever experienced God's presence? Have you ever been aware that God was there with you? He's here. He's real. Well, then you were aware of spiritual things. Did you ever get revelation out of the word? Did you ever get blessed in a service? Well, that's spiritual. Spiritual things are not foreign to you. You are a spirit. Now, the stronger you are in spirit, the more aware you are. Of spiritual things. And that's why your spirit needs to be fed. On a regular basis. On the word of God. And you should exercise your spirit. And when you do. You're going to get stronger. And stronger in spirit. Your faith's going to get stronger. Your love's going to get stronger. And as you do. You become more aware. Of spiritual things. The more fleshly you are. You're just aware of fleshly things. Romans uh, 8. It says, well, let's just turn over there and read it. Hold your place. In John, we're coming back there for something else. But in Romans, the 8th chapter, and verse 4, Romans 8, 4, he says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, let's just stop right here. Another way of saying that is you don't follow the flesh. But you follow the Spirit. Every day you and I have that option. All through the day. We can follow our flesh. Or we can follow our Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And when you learn how to follow your own Spirit. You wind up following the Holy Spirit. Because He leads you from within inside your own Spirit. You can follow your flesh. Or you can follow your Spirit. Every day you have that choice. And here he begins to describe how it works. He said in verse 5, For they that are after the flesh 
They do what? Mind the things of the flesh. Or another way of saying is they keep fleshly things on their mind. And they that are after the spirit, they mind, you could say, the things of the spirit. We've already said it, but we keep saying it different ways. Carnal people think about carnal stuff. And keeping carnal stuff on your mind all the time is a big part of what makes you carnal. Spiritual people keep spiritual things on their mind. But now when you say that, so many times people's mind go off on a tangent. They think you're, you know, again, halfway in a trance maybe. No, what is spiritual? Anything that's in this word is spiritual. Truth, love, and doing what's right, and healing, and prosperity is spiritual, and The love of God, like we said, to be carnally minded, he said, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, why are we talking about this? Because if you're going to worship God, you have to worship him how? In spirit, not in the flesh. In the spirit. So uh, Jesus said, back to John now, if you would. John 6, 63, Jesus said, the spirit quickens. The flesh does what? That which is done in the flesh profits nothing. Didn't say it didn't profit much. It profits nothing. And you know the Bible, uh, the Spirit through Paul in Corinthians talks about in that day, in the soon coming day, all of us will give an account of what we've done in this life. And all of our works will be judged. Now, this is different from you making heaven. If you're saved, you're saved by the blood. You're not saved by what you've done in life. But we will be rewarded in the life to come according to what we've done, how obedient we've been, and how faithful we've been. Everybody's not going to be exactly the same in heaven. Did you hear me? The Bible said in 1 Corinthians that those in the resurrection, they're going to differ in glory like the stars. Well, some stars are brighter than others. Are you with me now? And we're not all going to receive the same reward. Jesus taught the parable of the talents. One man got no reward. One man, you know, he had five. Another one had ten plus one. So it's not all going to be the same. It's not, it's, they don't practice communism in heaven. But in determining what we will have in the life to come and what we will do and our reward, all of our works down here are judged by the fire of God. And the Bible said in that day, there will be things that's wood, hay, and stubble. Well, what happens to wood, hay, and stubble when the fire hits it? It's gone. And so what that means is everything that you did that the Bible calls wood, hay, and stubble, I don't care how long you worked on it. I don't care how much money you put into it. If it was wood, hay, and stubble, it's gone forever. There's no reward for it. That's the end of it. But there are works, the Bible said, that will be gold and silver and precious stones And when the fire judges it, it comes out gleaming and shining. 
and that will stay with you forever. Well, what do you suppose the stuff that's wood, hay, and stubble, what works would that be? Well, see, that agrees right with this, doesn't it? The flesh profits what? And, you know, it's going to be interesting. In that day, there's going to be people that built empires down here. I mean stuff that's worth billions. And there were all these people and all this stuff involved in it. And when the fire hits it, it's going to be nothing. Nothing. Well, make a difference. How good of an idea somebody thought it was, how hard and work and sweat and blood and tears and money they put into it, if it wasn't done by the direction of the Lord, it's going to mean nothing. But the Spirit quickens and gives life. Everything that we do that the Lord directed us to do, it lasts forever. Isn't that great? Whoo, glory to God. Every time we follow his leading, every time we act on the promptings and urgings of the Holy Ghost, every time we obey, step out and do what he told us to do, that thing was done in the Spirit. And that thing lasts forever. And that thing will come out of the fire shining like gold. And a million years from now, we'll still be talking about it. It stays with us forever. <laughs> how we ought to obey God. How we ought to praise Him. And obey Him. Now back up to the third chapter of John. John 3. And verse 6. Jesus again. Verse 6. Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is what? flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit you know Galatians talks about that if you sow to the flesh what do you reap of the flesh corruption but if you sow to the spirit you reap life eternal and Jesus said you know what the flesh produces what's born out of flesh is flesh what's born out of the spirit is spirit everything produces after its own kind begats after its own kind And the Lord said that those that would worship the Father must worship Him in spirit and in truth. I want to give you three things now that will help you in identifying what is flesh and what is spirit. I'm already excited talking about it because this has helped me so much just in my few years of walking with the Lord because... There's so much confusion and so much immaturity about these things. People do all kind of stuff and call it Holy Ghost and it's not. And then sometimes there's spiritual things and people know it's good, but they don't realize that this is of the Spirit. This is Spirit. These things will help you identify. Number one, how can you tell if it's uh, Spirit or if it's flesh? Go to 1 Corinthians 12. We'll read this and you'll have our first answer here. I'm not saying this is the only three things. I'm just saying here are three good things that will help you on your way to knowing this. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. He says, now concerning what? 
Now, the King James says gifts, but you notice that's in italics. That means it was added. It's not in the original. So literally, it just says now concerning spiritual, and actually it's in the plural, spirituals. So another way of saying this is things of and pertaining to the spirit, concerning spirituals. Because he talks about gifts, but he also talks about ministries and operations and manifestations. This chapter is not just about the gifts of the Spirit. It's about spirituals, spiritual things, the things, manifestations, operations, gifts of the Holy Ghost. He said, I would not have you what? He doesn't want us ignorant. Well, now, if the Lord says, you know, he writes this, I don't want you to be ignorant. He wouldn't even say it unless there was a whole lot of ignorance (laughs) that he's having to deal with. You know that you were, you used to be Gentiles carried away under these dumb idols, even as you were led. How many know that everybody without God is chasing dumb stuff some way or another? Verse three, wherefore I give you to understand. Now, here's the first one I'm giving you now, or the Lord is. To understand, no man speaking by who? That this would be, you're speaking by the Spirit of God, so would the speaking be in the Spirit? Yes, it'd be in and of and by the Holy Spirit. If you're speaking in and of and by the Holy Spirit of God, nobody can do that and call Jesus accursed. And no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, people just take that out of context and say, well, you know, uh, that means nobody could say it. Well, sure, you could, you could find somebody that's uh, atheist and say, I'll give you $100 if you say Jesus is Lord. You know, they can say it. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people speaking by the Spirit. Now, here's the point. Whatever is of the Spirit and in the Spirit will glorify Jesus. We'll magnify Jesus, we'll emphasize Jesus, we'll glorify Jesus. The Holy, Jesus said concerning the Holy Spirit in John, you remember, he said when he comes, he'll not speak of himself. Right? He's going to take of mine and show it to you. Now, man, this will help you in every area. If a preacher is preaching by the Spirit... If it's really by the Spirit, will you notice the individual? Will the emphasis be on them? Or will it be on the Master? If it's really of the Spirit, it won't be on them. You won't just be emphasizing a person. The emphasis will be on Him. If a prophecy is in the Spirit, will you notice the person the most? Hmm? Will it be something that just glorifies them? If it just glorifies them, what was it? It's flesh. If it just drew attention to humanity, what is it? It's flesh. It's not spirit. Things said, done, prayed, given in the spirit by the Holy Spirit of God always glorify Jesus. Always. If it's a tongue... If it's an interpretation, if it's a prophecy, if you hear it and you think, hmm, 
That's weird. Wonder what that means. And it doesn't glorify. It doesn't make you think of God. There's no emphasis on God. There's no emphasis on Jesus. It was just flesh. I don't care if they said, thus saith the Lord. I don't care if they spoke in tongues before they uh, interpreted. If it doesn't glorify Jesus. See, that's what these guys were doing. There was all kind of spiritual practices. They worshipped all kind of stuff before Paul came to town. Now they've gotten saved and they've gotten filled with the Spirit. They're tongue talkers. They've learned about prophecy. But there's some folk doing some weird stuff in the services. You can see it from his writings. Why would he say that nobody can stand up and talk bad about Jesus and it's the Holy Ghost? Why would he say that? There'd been stuff like that going on. If it's in the Spirit, it emphasizes Jesus. It magnifies Jesus. It glorifies Jesus. Flesh glorifies flesh. What a great preacher they are. What a great prayer they are. What if somebody is singing in the Spirit? Is your main focus on their ability or how they look or how they're dressed? If you're singing, if you're playing, if you're preaching, if you're trying to talk to somebody about the Lord, the more aware they are of you, the less in the Spirit you are. The more focused they are on you and the natural things about you, the more in the flesh you are. The more in the spirit you get, the less they notice you. And the more they see him, more aware they are of him. That's why I've told you before, I'm believing, you know, for this to just get stronger and stronger and stronger. If we have people come in and somebody said, who preached there today? And they say, I don't know, but God was there. Who sang up there? I don't know, but who? Glory to God. God was there. Well, then what do you know then? The people that were doing things, were they in the spirit? Had to be. And that don't mean you fell into a trance or saw a vision or saw an angel or heard a voice. And yet it was in the spirit. Said out loud with me, if it's in the spirit. It glorifies Jesus. What if it doesn't? What if it just draws attention to people? I don't care how many scriptures they quoted. I don't care how much talking in tongues they did. If it just draws attention to them about what all they've done and who they are, what all they know and all their experiences, it's flesh. It's flesh. Number two, you ready for another one? How can you tell the difference? Between what's flesh and what's spirit. We're right here in 1 Corinthians 12. Turn over to uh, the 14th chapter. Chapter 14, 1 Corinthians. He's talking about spiritual things. In this 12th chapter and 13th chapter and 14th chapter. Verse 1. He said, follow after love. And desire what? Well, again, the word gifts is added. So it's the same word, and it's in the plural. So desire spirituals. Desire things of the Holy Ghost, things of the Spirit. But rather that you may prophesy. 
For he that speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but unto God. For no man understands him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. He's speaking in the Spirit. But he that prophesies speaks unto men to what? Edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaks in a tongue edifies himself. He that prophesies edifies the church. I would that you all spoke with tongues. Who can speak with tongues in the church today? All. I know a lot of people don't believe that. And it's sad because they're being robbed of something that's very rich. Right? Mr. Well, I just passed away. Well, you got to be careful about that passed away stuff. Don't you? Anytime you say anything in the Bible has passed away, you better know what you're talking about. Because where do you stop with that? Huh? Well, then when you say, well, holiness, well, that's passed away. <laughs> Living right, well, that passed away. Faith, well, that's pa- I mean, how do you know? If you can say one of these things has passed away, why can't you say other things have passed away? No, it hadn't passed away. People have passed away. <laughs> They've gotten away. <laughs> but God hadn't changed. And he said, I would that you all spoke with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. Now, if you keep reading on, uh, you'll find out how many can prophesy. He said, you may all prophesy one by one. You remember that? In verse 31, you may all prophesy. So how many can prophesy? Everybody. Now, a lot of times people don't understand that. They think, well, what? I can't predict the future. He didn't say predict the future. So people don't understand what prophecy is. He just gave you the definition of what we might call simple prophecy. He that prophesies back in verse 3 speaks to what? Edification, exhortation, and comfort. It strengthens you. It builds you up. It encourages you. And it comforts and consoles you. It's in the Spirit, by the Spirit. He said, I would that you all speak with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. Greater is he that prophesies than he that speaks with tongues, except he interpret. That the church may receive what? Edifying. Edifying. Verse 12. So ye, for as much as you are zealous of spirituals, seek that you may excel to what? To the edifying of the church. Now, we see something recurring, don't we? What word is it? What does edify mean? If it's in the spirit, it will always edify. What does that mean? It'll build you up. It'll quicken you. It'll strengthen you. Flesh profits nothing. Things that are done in and of the flesh are wearisome. When it's just flesh, you know, you can tell it. And I'm not talking about somebody else. I'm not talking about judging somebody else. I'm talking about judging yourself. Learn when you're doing something. And it's just wearying. And if you'll be honest with yourself, you're just doing it completely in your own strength. And it's wearing you out. Well, you're just in the flesh. And you don't want to keep going that way. You want to stop and go, Lord... <laughs> Show me what to do. Because when you begin to do things in the spirit, 
there's a quickening in it. Even when you're tired in the flesh, you're happy in your spirit. Huh? And you can have a long, full day of it, and you still, your body's tired, but your spirit's quickened. When you're praying in the right direction, it's not just droning on and on and on, praying, 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 praying. Let me see if I can put in another 30 minutes of praying. I hope I can. Ooh, I'm getting tired. <laughs> You're what? In the flesh. And what good is that doing? Well, I put in two hours of praying. Did you now? <laughs> Ooh, I barely made it. If it was in the flesh, what Jesus say? It profits nothing. You might as well have been taking a nap or eating a sandwich. Huh? But if it's in the spirit, now here's the thing. So many times you start out in the flesh. But if you stay with it, you wind up in the spirit. If you'll pay attention to how, which way the Lord directs you. And not hard-headed and I'm going to do it my way and I've already got a plan and we've already got this all scoped out. No, no. When you're doing it in the spirit, there's a quickening. There's some life to it. You can tell it. I mean, you can tell it when, you know, in the service, when we're teaching and preaching. You can tell as good as me when we get on the right thing. Can't you? When you, you know, sometimes you can tell we're looking for it and we're kind of on it a little bit and then we get on it. And then you go, whoo, yeah. And that's when a lot of times people go, yeah, go, whoo, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Right? Might have been kind of dreary-eyed and, and sleepy and this and that. But then, whoo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that ain't flesh. This is what never gets tired. This is that which never runs down, which never runs out. This is the Holy Spirit of God. He never gets weak. He never gets tired. He's always the Almighty One on the inside. And man, here comes the quickening. Sometimes you can just read a verse. Just read the verse. And because it's what God's saying right now, whoo, there it is. Mm. Quickening. Quickening. If it's dull and boring and dry and wearisome, what is it? And that's not just for service time now. That's for you on the job. That's for you at home. Anytime, every time. You can tell if you're on the wrong thing or the right thing. If you're going the wrong direction or you're going the right direction. I mean, when you just, it's just dreary and just plodding and, and, and just, you know, you think you're one of the children of Israel out in the desert, you know. Oh, nobody knows. I think I can make another step. Well, hey, stop. Don't just keep going. Stop. And go, Lord, you're not helping me on this. And sometimes he'll say, no, and I'm not. <laughs> Why? Because that's not where I told you to go. That's not what I told you to do. The Lord, the Holy Ghost, is not obligated to help us do just anything we decide to do. So many folk waste so much time praying, trying to get God to help them. He's not going to help you do things that's just your idea and away from his idea. He's not. But when you begin to do what he's directed you to do, you don't have to beg him to bless it. 
You don't have to plead with him to provide for it. You don't have to plead with him to help you to do it. It was his idea. And there's quickening. Glory to God. Do you like this at all? Man, this is important, I'm telling you. How can you tell the difference? Now let's get back to worship here. If somebody's worshiping God, if you're singing, and I was preparing uh, to teach on praise at, at Rama years ago during the summer before the year, school year started. And I was reading and studying, doing everything I needed to do, and I got on some of this. Uh, I was actually in Romans where we went just a few minutes ago, Romans 8. They that, uh, you know, are carnal, they mind the things of the flesh, and the spiritual people mind the things of the spirit. And the Lord said two outstanding things to me about that. I wrote them down. He said, your heart's not in what your mind's not on. That'd certainly be true. Your heart's not in what your mind's not on. Well, what if you're standing up here and the singers are singing and the players are playing and you got one hand kind of half-masked, but you're still thinking about what happened at home? Are you thinking about your roast? Huh? Are you thinking about what you got to do Monday at work? Could that be true worship in the spirit? No way. No way. Your heart cannot be in what your mind is not on. Well, what if you're trying to read your Bible? And you're drawn along, you know, and you realize I have read four verses and I don't know a word he said. Hmm? Have you ever done that kind of thing before now? Certainly you have. Well, then is that helping you? No. Not anywhere like it's supposed to be. So what should you do? Back up. Back up. Sorry. Now this time, if you've got any distractions that you can turn off, turn it off. Right? And what's going on in your head, you turn that off too. And we're going to focus. You'll find that becoming spiritual involves developing powers of concentration. That you can focus on something and not let anything and everything pull your attention away. You focus. I know I was in uh, in church one morning. And there was a young man with us that had been going through a lot of problems. And we were endeavoring to help him. And brought him to church with us. I wasn't preaching that day. And the minister spoke. And... This, you know, this young man was looking around. He hadn't been in church a whole lot. And, and he's looking up to the front. And the minister, in the early part of his, I mean, he hadn't been speaking five minutes. He walked over to that side of the auditorium where we were. I mean, he wasn't 20 feet from where we were sitting. And he started talking about some things that was exactly what this young man needed. I mean, it was straight from God. Because this man didn't even know. I knew the man. He didn't even know. Uh, this young man, he didn't know anything about the situation. This was by the Holy Ghost. He began to describe what was wrong, and then he began to describe what to do about it and how to come out. Now, at exactly the same time, there was some kind of little commotion in the back of the auditorium, and I saw this young man turn completely around and looking at that. And it bothered me so much, I started to reach over and tap him and say, you better pay attention. And the Lord said, no, no, just watch. 
So I sit there, and the man, I mean, he went on step by step. This is what you do to come out of this. And he got through, and he turned around and went back to the other thing that he'd been talking about. And about that same time, this young man turned around and faced again. He completely missed it. Didn't even know what was said. And the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, this happens all the time. He said, the devil is a master of distraction. And because people are not focusing and paying attention, here's their answer. They didn't even see it. Didn't even know it. And go on and get aggravated at God and act like, well, Lord, why won't you help me? Well, why won't you listen? Why won't you pay attention is the deal. Why won't you do what you're told? God loves us. He doesn't just stand by while we go off the deep end and do nothing. He is helping us. He is talking. He is directing. What's the problem? People are not listening. They're distracted by everything. They have the attention span of a fly. <laughs> it's what I'm talking about. And, you know, can't focus uh, if it's not fireworks and loud music. Nothing can hold their attention. They're like spiritual two-year-olds. Are you with me? And so they can't focus long enough in reading the Bible to get anything. They don't focus in prayer long enough. They don't focus in church. And they're wondering why their life is a mess, why they don't know anything. No, when the Lord says, all right, listen to me, what should happen? I mean, 100%. Nothing. I mean, you know, the Lord began to deal with me this way years ago. And people around me know this. If I'm reading my Bible, don't bother me unless it's really important. If I'm praying, don't bother me unless it's really important. Why? Because I'm talking to somebody that's more important than you are. See, that's not real to a lot of people. They just come in and barge in. No, you know, I'm doing something. And this is more important than anything else. So you don't let any and everything distract you. And boy, when you do, the more you can focus like that, oh man, you get things. God's real to you. It's clear to you. It's plain to you. We're talking about in spirit and in truth instead of in the flesh. If it's in the spirit, number one, tell me again. Number one, we've already covered. If it's in the spirit, what will it do? It'll draw attention to Jesus. It'll emphasize Jesus. It will glorify Jesus. Right? Every time. And friend, this is universal now. I don't care who's preaching. I don't care who's singing. I don't care who's prophesying or praying or who wrote a book or who's on TV. I don't, it applies to everybody. If all it's doing is drawing attention to them and all it does is, you know, we're talking about ooh and ah about who they are and what they can do. It's flesh. It's flesh. If it's in the Holy Ghost, it's going to bring your mind to God. It's going to bring your mind to Jesus. It's going to make you more impressed with him. Number two, what do we say? If it's in the spirit, what Jesus say, it's the spirit that quickens. The flesh prophets, flesh will wear you out. There's nothing there. There's no spiritual flow of life. Flesh. Now let's talk about, you know, somebody's going to stand up and give a tongue in church. Somebody's going to give a prophecy. Anytime that somebody says, Yea, thus saith the Lord, does that mean it is in the Spirit just because they said that? No. These things should be judged no matter who says them. 
Somebody stands up and gives a tongue and gives an interpretation. Does that mean it has to be in the spirit? Or could it be in the flesh? Certainly it could be. How could you tell? If it's in the spirit or if it's in the flesh. Well, what if somebody's doing something, they're supposed to be prophesying, supposed to be giving, and the whole congregation is just kind of waiting until they get through? <laughs> huh? I don't mean they're bad people, right? Don't mean their heart was bad. Don't mean that they're in sin. What does it mean? They should have just saved that for home, right? That's just something that ministered to them. And them giving it out that way, there was no unction on it, there was no anointing on it. But if it is in the Spirit, what will you know? There's an edification will go out over the place. Did you hear me? Everybody will be going, yeah, yeah, mm, yeah. It's putting something into you. You can tell there's life in it. There's strength and quickening. Right? You know... Anything you're talking about, there's flesh or spirit. Dancing is a uh, something you could talk about here. Now, some people don't believe in dancing at all. They believe, well, you get saved and that's it. No dancing. Now, <laughs> I don't see a problem in the world with a, a man waltzing with his wife or dancing or, you know, now there's ungodly dance. You understand. But in church... Dancing. There's all kind of questions about this. But it's just like anything else. You got dancing in the spirit and then you got dancing in the flesh. And years ago, a lady mightily used of God, uh, Miss uh, Woodworth Edder, uh, she wrote a book. And I want to quote something too. I don't think it's even in print, so don't ask me about it. But uh, years ago I found this, and she wrote this about some ways the Spirit of God was moving in their meetings. Listen to it closely. She said, among the strange acts which God is performing in these last days is dancing and playing on musical instruments in the Spirit. These manifestations are not induced by suggestion or by imitation. Now, there's a lot of good instruction here. Not by suggestion, not by imitation. It is true that some will occasionally step and hop about who are simply expressing their joy and praise in their own way, as all of us in former days have seen the saints when they're blessed, jump and skip or run in holiness meetings. These fleshly manifestations... Did you hear that now? These what? Fleshly manifestations shouldn't be regarded as sinful or necessarily hypocritical. They are the human expression of feeling toward God, just like demonstrations at a baseball or football game. The natural human expression of feeling in that lower carnal plane of joy. But now how many people would call that dancing in the spirit? Right? But it's not. It's just in the flesh. Now let me give you an example. The Bible said David 
when the Ark of the Covenant was brought in, he danced before the Lord with all his might. Is that a description of dancing in the Spirit? This is Old Covenant. Did you hear me? He danced, didn't say danced in the Spirit, he danced before the Lord with all his might, which was great and good for the time. But now you and I have something else. We can dance how? And you know how? It's not limited to church. You can do this at home. You could dance before the Lord just in the flesh. That's okay. It's not bad. But it's not dancing in the spirit. Now listen to her describe dancing in the spirit. And also she mentioned playing in the spirit, playing on instruments. She said, but the real dancing, this is Miss Woodworth Etter now, real dancing under the power of the Spirit is altogether different. It's not like something you see at a football game. It is spontaneous. It comes without premeditation. It lacks all human direction and control. It does not follow the two-step or the waltz, or any dance ever learned. Now see, you know a lot of people, they have structured dance that they do, and they call it dancing in the spirit, but it's not. It's in the flesh. Did you hear me? And I didn't say it was bad, I didn't say it was sinful. But you have to watch, because people think, well, we got it, we're doing stuff in the spirit, and they're not, and they're substituting this for the real thing. She goes on to say, the whole body is energized by the spirit. The eyes are usually closed. The movements are wonderfully graceful, often rapid beyond imitation. There are none of the attitudes or poses or familiar joining of partners or any such thing like ordinary dance. She's talking about dancing in the spirit. I've done it. If you haven't, you ought to. It's wonderful. Singing in the Spirit. It's not something you plan. It's not something you premeditate. Playing in the Spirit. It's not something you based on something you learned in your head. Spontaneous. How could you tell it's in the Spirit? There's going to be life in it. There's going to be a quickening in it. And it's going to glorify Jesus. And here's number three. Go to 2 Corinthians, if you would. (laughs) Uh, Interesting. Now, I know that (laughs) some people, uh, you know, they're going to have to think about this. And you have to come to the conclusion, maybe that some things you've been doing has been in the flesh. But don't feel bad about it. Realize there's more. There's much more. There's higher. There's better. And uh, you can go too far either way. You can go to the ditch on one side and say, well, we're so concerned that something might be in the flesh. Tell you, no, 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 watch out, watch out. Don't get in the flesh. And nobody does anything. And it's just dead. And somebody says, well, we're afraid we're getting in the flesh. Where do you think you are now? (laughs) 
You're already there. Your fears have come on you. Right? So no, you don't want that. And that's where a lot of people are. I mean, a lot of denominational churches. They're so concerned that someone, we don't want that wildfire getting in over here. We don't go for all that stuff. They're afraid something's going to get out of hand. And so you have nothing. We don't want to get in the flesh. You're there. You are in the flesh. You're operating in the flesh. Scared to step out in the spirit. Then you get out of that ditch and go all the way across the road in the ditch on the other side of the road. And just anything goes. Everything goes. I mean, you got, you know, uh, scripture said, try the spirits. And they thought it was like, try the ice cream flavors. They're trying all of them, man. I mean, they're yielding to anything and everything. I've been in churches like that. The Holy Ghost moved and then something else moved. And then something else. And once in a while it was God. And sometimes it's not. And a lot of time it's not. And, well, no, you don't want the service open to anything and everything. But don't be concerned about you know, making a mistake or getting in the flesh, just be teachable. That's the thing. You are going to make some mistakes. You don't have to go around confessing that, but I'm just telling you, it's like anything else in life. You don't start out knowing everything about these things. You learn. And a lot of things that I've learned, I learned by making mistakes. I stepped out and sometimes because, you know, I was helping Brother Hagen for years. He'd call me up to do stuff. And I made some of the biggest royal mistakes. In front of thousands of people. It's better if you could make them at home by yourself. <laughs> but I have. And sometimes I've had to say. You know I remember one night we were on satellite. We were broadcasting all over the world. And Brother Hagen called me up. He said you got a song? And I thought. Uh, I think I do. I didn't say that. But I just said yes sir. And I bounced up to the piano. And I started playing and singing. Going a certain direction. And i had been going about. Ten words, and I realized this ain't it. <laughs> this ain't it. Cameras are zoomed in. <laughs> Satellites feeding. <laughs> Let's just stop here. How could I tell this is not it? Quickening is not there. The edification is not there. You know, this applies to every area of life. You know, when we first got here to town. We looked at more than one place. There were other theaters for sale. There were other places for sale. We looked at them. But, you know, you look at them and you use your mind and you think about things. But, you know, it was nice and this was nice, but there was nothing in here. There was no no quickening. And uh, Phyllis looked at this place first. I was praying <laughs> in the condo, <laughs> really praying. I thought, Lord, are you serious about this? <laughs> and um, thank God he was. But at that time, you know, I didn't know all of y'all then. <laughs> and Phyllis come back. She said, you ought to come see this place or something about it. I said, really? And we stepped in here and it had been empty for three years. We began to look around and here it began to come. There's something else besides just our head going on now. There's a quickening. Well, that's the leading, quickening. How did I get off on that? What were we talking about before we got there? You remember? That's right, number three. Oh, y'all are doing good. <laughs> Must be in the spirit, man. We're, we're focused. We're moving. Second Corinthians, are you there? 
A third truth, a way to know what is flesh and what is spirit. Tell me the first two again. How can you tell if it's in the flesh or the spirit? It'll always glorify Jesus. It'll draw attention to him. It'll emphasize him. I don't mean part of the time. Every, if it was Holy Ghost, it glorified Jesus. Every time. Every time. If it just drew attention to flesh, it's flesh. Secondly, what does edify mean? It builds up. Jesus used the word quicken. Quicken means to make full of life. There's a quickening. There's a spark. We've done that for so many years now. Everything I do. every I mean, if I'm looking for a motorcycle. I don't care how pretty I think it is. I don't care how great a deal it is. If I don't have the quickening, that's not the one. I don't care. You know, little things. Like, where do you go to eat tonight? Did you hear me? Now, don't make a big deal out of it. Don't get over the corner and huddle up and go pray in tongues for an hour about it. I mean, everybody's... Eating done before you get through, you know. But what you do is you just think about different places, right? You think about different ones, and that's a good place. That's a good, but nothing, nothing. That, you think about this one, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Little something there. It don't have to be huge, but there's a little something there. If it's the Spirit, it is quickening. And I'm telling you, it's amazing how God will lead you and protect you by this that the quickening doesn't have to be big. There's been so many times I just had a little something in me about don't do that, do this. I thought about doing this, nothing. It's just flat. No, thought about doing this, yeah, yeah, there's a quickening. And it saved my life. And later you think, Lord, that was pretty serious. And it looked like I could have easily missed it. Well, but he knew you was going to follow it. So that's all that was necessary. You're out of danger. Said out loud, follow the witness. Follow the the Spirit. Follow the the quickening. quickening. That way you won't buy the wrong house. That way you won't get the wrong car. I know I had wanted a new Corvette ever since I was a little boy. I mean, I wanted a new Corvette. And Phyllis and I had been married for a few years, and we got to a place where we could get one. And uh, we had made a deal with somebody out of state. I had found one like I'd been looking for. Metal flake blue convertible with a white rag top, white interior. I thought, yep, yep, yep. So we went there and they're supposed to have prepped the car. It took us hours to drive there. And we got there and we waited and waited and waited and well, they're supposed to have it ready when we got there. And I mean, it's two hours. And finally, they bring it around. And whoo, it is sharp. Man, that thing's gleaming in the sun. I thought, yeah, buddy. That car's calling, take me home. Take me home. Me and you are buddies now. We got in it. Man, the thing's pretty. Brand spanking new. Drove it around the corner. Drove it around another corner. Phyllis said, this car's not right. I knew she was right, but I didn't want to let on. Because we both got the same Holy Ghost, right? I acted dumb. I said, what? This thing's pretty. She said, I know it is. It is pretty, but something's not right. What do you mean, something's not right? Well, she didn't know. I had the same thing. 
And I didn't want it to be that way because I've been wanting this car for so long. And this, there wasn't many like this around. And we found one and here it is. And they made us a good deal. And <clears throat> of course, this is how you miss God. This is exactly how you miss God. What should I be looking for? The witness I should be looking for a quickening, not just how much my flesh, flesh, flesh likes it. Like a lady one time, she was looking for cars and she saddled up beside this new Mercedes. She said, my spirit man needs this. (laughs) Are you sure that's the spirit you're talking about? Because so many times, what is it? It's just your flesh. But if you follow your flesh... You wind up at the wrong place. That's how you get into all kind of trouble. We drove it around another block or two. There was a rattle. Went to turn something on and it didn't come on. She said, I'm telling you, something's not right about this car. I said, I know it. I know it. We pulled back up. But see, here's the thing. If you're not controlling your flesh, you'll go on and do it. You know how I know? Because <laughs> the car before that one, <laughs> I did it. And I missed it. And it cost me, and I had trouble with it. Thank God I learned a few things by this. I thought, I'm not doing that again. I'm not doing that again. I don't care how pretty the thing is, how much I want it. No, I got a check. I don't have a quickening. I don't, in fact, I got a check. So what's it time to do? Huh? It's time to go away. Does your flesh want to go away? No. No. We came back and I said, uh, I said, well, sir, I said, you know, seems like something's wrong with that car. He looked at me. He looked at the other salesman, the manager. He looked back at me. He said, what do you mean? I said, we just think something's wrong with the car. He said, excuse us. They went inside and talked. Apparently they knew something we didn't know. We found another car at the same place. It's a better car. Made a deal on that. And uh, when we were closing the paperwork, they said, you know, sorry, Mr. Moore, sorry we misrepresented that car to you. They thought I knew more than I did. But I had somebody inside me who knew everything about everything. He knew what had happened. You know, sometimes stuff happens to new cars. Sometimes they had a bad day at the factory, you know. And thank God the Holy Ghost, no way you could know all that kind of stuff, but the Holy Ghost knows. The one I did get, never had a problem with, it was just a blessing. Spirit, flesh. Spirit, if you follow your flesh, it's going to cost you. Follow the Spirit, it's going to be good. It's going to be saved problems. Okay, finally. 2 Corinthians, 3rd chapter. He said, 317, 2 Corinthians 317. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit, where the what? The who? The spirit, where the spirit is, where the spirit's in manifestation, where the spirit is operating, what will there be? Liberty. Liberty. How can you tell if it's flesh or if it's spirit? What about preaching and teaching? How could you tell if it's spirit or if it's flesh? Flesh preaching will put you in bondage. Did you hear me? 
when you're through, you just are condemned. All you know is what you can't do. I can't do this. I haven't done this. And I haven't done that. And the further you go, it's just bondage. Bondage, bondage. And you feel depressed and defeated. And you can't do it and you're no good. The anointing does what? I mean, it removes the burdens. It destroys the yokes. Well, when the yokes come off and the burdens come off, you're free. Is that right? You're liberated. You're free. When it's in the Spirit, when it's of the Spirit, it ministers liberty to you. The further you go into it, the freer you get. Right? You got your eyes on Jesus. It's building you up and it's setting you free. Now, you know that's the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Flesh puts you in bondage. Spirit sets you free. Flesh pulls you down, wears you out. Spirit builds you up, quickens you. Flesh draws attention to flesh. Spirit draws attention to Jesus. Can you say amen? amen? Can you see how these three cover a lot of ground, don't they? I mean, if you were thinking about these every day in your life, watching it, measuring it, judge, everything in your, on your own life, anybody else trying to minister to you, you judge it by these, and you'll see very clearly. As you go on, it won't be obscure to you. It won't be confusing to you. Because so many times, it's sad. People are scratching their head going, well, wonder what is the Holy Ghost? And is that just me? Or, or is that the Spirit? It's sad that people are so confused. It's so simple. We don't have to be. Stay in the Word. The Word brings light. That's what we've been doing tonight, right? I mean, we've been reading verses. I didn't come up with this. This was here a long time before I ever came along. The Spirit of God breathes life, quickens, edifies, sets you free. Can you say amen? Amen. Glory to God. Let's lift up our hands begin to thank God for the Holy Spirit of God who lives in us. Dwells in us, oh, thank you, Lord, for the mighty, mighty, greater one who quickens us, enables us. Oh, hallelujah. Thank God. Stand on your feet and thank him some properly. Lord, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.